Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. One day, my dad bought a computer for us for Christmas. Probably like half a year later, the computer was in my room exclusively. No one wanted anything to do with it. So that was kind of how I, I got into sort of the computer science stuff. Um, so it just went on from there. That is the incident that started off the journey of today's guest, who eventually wound up being the accessibility evangelist for Apple computers. We'll speak with Dean Hudson about his long and rewarding career in technology and how he got there. But first, for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Dean Hudson. So this is a feature as if um, there's a guy here. His last name is Shram, but the speech synthesizer pronounces it as Shram. And what you can do for a custom uh, enunciation is you can actually voice Shram, and then Alex will speak it as Shram the next time. It learns from you saying the name then? Yes, it learns from, it gathers speech data points about what you're in the consonants and how you are phrasing the word, and then it will use that or teach Alex how to say that word. I guess that's why they call them smart devices. <laughs> Support for Eyes on Success is provided by the Hadley Institute for the Blind and Visually Impaired, offering the 2021 New Venture Business Competition to help blind entrepreneurs turn their ideas into actual startups. More information and submission criteria are at www.hadley.edu nvc. And by... NaviLens, a four-color QR code designed to be located and read from up to 60 feet away without the need to focus on it. Personal places and items can be tagged and shared with family and friends with codes obtained inside the NaviLens app, available for iPhone and Android. More information is at navilens.com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Dean and learning about his current job at Apple. So, Dean, we talked with you a while ago about what you do as an engineer at Apple, but today we wanted to talk to you about some of your personal experiences growing up visually impaired and getting uh, employment down the road. But maybe for people who may not remember you, you can introduce yourself. Sure thing. I am Dean Hudson. I am uh, employed at Apple for, I think this January was my 15th year. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And started off in engineering and worked there for about 10 or so years and then moved over into more of uh, evangelism uh, and marketing for, for accessibility at Apple. And what does evangelism entail? That entails meeting with several groups outside of accessibility orbit and making sure that their devices, their products are accessible, or at least they're thinking about accessibility when designing their products and projects. 
And you are the perfect person to be in that position because not only is your background in engineering, but you are visually impaired yourself, correct? Yes, I am visually impaired. I am totally blind. However, we don't just focus, obviously, on blindness. Uh, uh, there's other disabilities that, you know, we try to keep in the forefront uh, because it's important that, you know, technology is for everyone. And um, so it, it has been a bit of a aha in some sense because it's like, well, I know about the visual aspect, but what about if someone couldn't hear very well or does not have the physical ability to use this technology? And so it has opened my mind up a bit more to start thinking about other disabilities. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Dean Hudson's path through childhood, education, employment as a computer scientist, and now accessibility evangelist. Today, we wanted to talk about your life and journey as a visually impaired person from when you were young until you got educated and eventually got a great job at Apple and some of the other previous jobs you've had. Maybe we can start out by telling us a little bit about what it was like growing up as a youth and realizing that you were visually impaired and you were a little bit different than other folks. I was, and uh, I have to say that during those days, um, I did have some vision. Uh, uh, it wasn't very much, but I could see shapes and colors and that kind of thing. Um, enough to be able to ride a bike, actually. And to be honest, um, I never really saw myself as very different. Now, maybe it's because at this age, you know, you don't, you're not driving, you're not really doing that many things very different. And when we did play sports, you know, someone would hit for me and I'd run or things like that. So I didn't really feel blindness. In fact, um, I remember my dad asking me, you know, what I want to do. And I said, oh, I want to be a cop. <laughs> so I didn't really even think of it as that this is, a, is an issue until later on when, you know, other siblings were getting the driver's license and other things like that. Um, and then, of course, you know, going into school and needing special equipment and stuff like that. But even so, there's still a bit of that in me where I just, I don't really think about having a disability. Something may take longer for me to do, but it's very few things that I just feel like I can't do because of my vision loss. You know, I have much the same feelings and much the same experiences when I was younger. And as you say, even now, you know, I don't really think about myself as being blind. It's just that, you know, we're both differently abled. Yeah. So when you went through school, say high school and starting college, did you have to use special equipment and special resources? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, grammar school, it was fine. Uh, it's one school, but um, my father worked at IBM, so we'd have to move. We moved a few times within the Bay Area, and every time, you know, I, my mom would have to get on the phone and find a school that had, you know, special resource room or teacher that could, you know, assist. So I had that, and of course, they taught Braille and typing, that sort of stuff. When I went to college, uh, two are things I wanted to check out in terms of a career, either an engineer there were a lot of mentors that uh, were at that time at Stanford. And one of them was strongly encouraging me to be a hardware engineer and uh, even took me to a lab at Stanford to check out some of the equipment or computer scientists. 
and I ultimately went with, with computer science. Um, that was very different because at that time, there weren't that many screen readers out there. I didn't even know what a screen reader was, actually. And when was this? This would have been 1984. Oh, the screen readers were pretty crude back then. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it was in DOS. But the funny part is that um, speech synthesis was also pretty rough. Um, I think the college, San Jose State, managed to buy a $6,000 deck talk speech synthesis. Wow. They were pricey back <laughs> then. <laughs> but before that, before they had any, before I had any speech, I would use readers. So some poor sucker would come with me to the computer lab while I'm banging out code. They'd have to, you know, I'd compile it. I'd get all these errors. I'd have to step through each of the errors and, you know, I'd have to wake them up sometimes. And, <laughs> oh, geez. You know, the show must go on. So were these other computer science students or, I mean, so at least they knew how to read code? Oh, no, no. This was, um, so the, the college had a disabled student services where they would hire students, just general students. I very rarely had someone from computer science. They'd be from like journalism or, uh, you know, whatever else, English majors. And you were interested in computers from when you were very young, I take it. Yeah. So in addition to being wanting to be a cop, one day my dad bought a computer for us for Christmas. I wasn't allowed to use it by myself because my dad was afraid that, you know, perhaps if I touch some parts that are exposed, the uh, oils from your fingers would get on it and ruin it and that kind of thing. But that didn't last very long. Um, I would say probably like half a year later, the computer was in my room exclusively. No one wanted anything to do with it. <laughs> And what were you doing for input-output at the time? Yeah, so that was during the time I did have some vision. So this computer, TRS-80, had two modes. It had a 40-character line mode or 32-character. And I had switched it to the largest 32, and I'd just basically be smelling my monitor the whole time. So That's the way I used to read at that age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was kind of how I, I got into sort of the computer science stuff. Um, so it just went on from there. So as a student, I know you said you had readers. Did you have any kind of magnification system you were able to use? No. So by the time I got to college, um, maybe my second year, my vision went completely. I had a bunch of retina detachments and it was gone. Ooh. So no more magnification. But there was a time when I would look at stuff under CCTV mainly to see if a girl in the yearbook was pretty or not, but that was all. <laughs> well, you know, fortunately, it sounds like, again, you and I went through some similar experiences. As our eyesight diminished, the technologies improved, because I'm guessing by this time, you started to be able to use the first refreshable Braille displays, the speech synthesizers were better, there were such things as CCTVs. And if some of this had happened a few years earlier, those tools and technologies may not have been available. So you probably remember the VersaRail? Oh, the refreshable Braille display. Yeah. 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 The school had one. And because at that time I was the only blind student, they loaned it to me. And, you know, it uses the cassette tape. And, yes. And, you know, it's pretty primitive. Well, <clears throat> I happened to uh, be moving out of my apartment and I thought, you know, I don't want to lug this with me right now. Let me just leave it in the laundry room and I'll come back and get it. Of course, I did come back, but it was not there. So I thought, 
oh man, this is a, what is it? Back then was a $6,000 device, something like that. Oh, they were very expensive. Yeah. And so I just, I didn't know how to confront. So I go into the disabled student's office one day for totally something different. And uh, the director said, Hey Dean, um, you know where that Versa Braille is? I'm like, Oh, well, you know, um, uh, I, uh, and then he pulls it out from under his desk. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> I just, he said, you know, you're, I don't know if you have an angel over your head or what, but some ladies happened to be driving on one-on-one, saw this thing and thought it could be, you know, someone might have lost something. And then she looks on it, it says property of San Jose State, and she turns it in. And I'm just like, wow, okay. Boy, did you get lucky. <laughs> so did I use up all my blessings on that one deal or <laughs> but that was really kind of a life-changing technology it had to make it a lot easier to interact with computers and do some of the work that you were expected to do oh yeah yeah I mean today I think uh, you know people don't appreciate that when I had to go to a study group at college it wasn't like you know I'll just bring a couple of papers it was like okay, we're studying chapters one through five. That's five volumes I need to carry, plus a brailler to take notes. You had to be a muscle man to carry that stuff around. Yeah, exactly. Was there any particular mentor that sort of encouraged you to go into computers and science, or were you essentially self-directed at this point in your life? So there was. <laughs> that when I, I had two, two mentors, one in high school, which is really more of a kind of just a character building person he was you know we talk a lot about um, disabilities and interactions with folks but then in college there was another mentor uh in the disabled student services office and she actually passed a few years ago but um she is the one who sort of helped me rationalize like okay yeah you can be a hardware engineer but look at all these jobs open for software and then she kind of swayed but i i, I think i was already naturally sort of hooked into programming at that point that mm -hmm. um, it just seemed like a, an easier thing to, to grasp onto. So, yeah, it is so valuable to have an adult who has your best interests at heart and who knows enough to be able to assist you get to your goals. You know, parents can be very well meaning and very loving, but if they don't happen to be specialists in the field that you're trying to get into, you really can get a lot of benefit from some of these teachers. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and uh, not just for your education, just lifetime roles and, and you know, your character, as we said before, um, it's, it's really important that if you have someone take advantage of that because it is helpful. Well, you eventually went on to get your degree, and then it was time to look for a job. How did that go? Well, towards the, I'd say my junior year in college, um, one of the counselors was nudging me to, I should really get involved in this engineering science club. And she said, you know, you know, you should fill out this application, go down there and fill it out. And, you know, you could get an internship. And I just put it off, put it off. So, yeah, whatever. It wasn't until it turns out they were doing some construction outside of San Jose State and they rerouted the buses to an area where I had to walk right by that department. 
And I thought, well, since I'm here, I might as well fill this thing out. And two, three weeks later, I got a call from a manager at IBM and wanted to know if I was interested in doing an internship there. And that's kind of where it started. And so I did two years there, my junior year and senior year. And then I graduated, was looking for a job, looking for a job. And I thought, well, why don't I just call my old manager? Um, and then again, two weeks later, I get an invite to interview at IBM. Wow. That's where I started. You know, those internships in college, I think are so important. I think it's almost criminal for colleges not to offer internships. There's one thing about learning material from books, but having the real experience of working at a job is very different. Plus, as your experience indicates, you wind up making connections that you can use later on to get your foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, at the time, I didn't think very much of it. And, you know, I, if they hadn't done construction, I don't know if I would have got that internship. <laughs> <laughs> when IBM hired you based on your application for an internship, people always talk about, should you disclose or not your visual impairment? What did you do? I disclosed. I mean, there was no way around it, right? I had a cane and you were just not going to. Um, but I honestly think he saw this as an opportunity that I might have not gotten. And I think he really felt like, you know, this is something that, because uh, it was back in, it was back in the eighties and, you know, this just wasn't a lot of opportunities. Someone see that you were blind and they say, they would just think no way you mm -hmm. can't do this. But uh, he didn't think that way. And uh, so, yeah, I've always felt comfortable disclosing if I'm doing uh, in-person interview. And this he was your hiring manager, I assume? Yes. Yeah. For the internship. Uh-huh. Well, you know, and also I've, I've had the experience when I applied to Xerox out of graduate school, I just sent in my resume as anybody else would when they called for an interview. That was the first time I told them that I had a visual impairment. I said, you know, when you meet me at the airport, I'm the guy with the white cane. And I asked them about that later on. Did they have any misgivings about that or what was their reaction You know, after I was hired? And they basically said, you know, look, we figured if you got through graduate school and were successful there, you know, you had that all under control. So that wasn't an issue. Yeah, I think I think that was the same experience. I mean, I, uh, I did the over the phone interview where I answered a bunch of programming questions. And uh, I kind of think that was their feeling. And at IBM, once you go to be hired full time, you interview with several different teams. And this never came up. It never came up about, well, how are you going to do this? Or how are you going to um, be able to, to complete this? And I think a lot of them knew that at that time, IBM was working on a screen reader or had a, built a screen reader already. So that made it a little bit easier. I mean, and, you know, it was IBM, so they could just, whatever you need, you know, Braille embosser, Braille display, we'll just buy it all. And my office was filled with just all kinds of tech. <laughs> that is the great thing about working at a large company like that. I had the same experience with Xerox. Anything I needed, I mean, money just wasn't an issue. Where did you go after leaving IBM? I went to work for a nonprofit Sensory Access Foundation, which uh, helps people with accommodations for jobs. So we'd go and evaluate someone's job and say, this person needs this. And it would just infuriate me with some cases, you know, I'd, uh, go and, and tell someone, Hey, look, you know, you're going to need a braille display for this. And, oh no, 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 no. You can't tell them that. That's too much. It's too expensive. I'm like, 
look, you know, you, you need this. You, if you want to continue or to be competitive in your job, oh, no, I cannot. And then, you know, you explain to them that the Department of Rehabilitation is willing to pay for it. Still, they're just so gun shy. And, and I guess it's maybe from past experiences of being put in a situation where you're told, you know, use what you have. If you can't make it work, then, you know, we'll get someone else. So yeah. very fortunate to not have to go through that. Yeah, which is really kind of interesting because although these technologies tend to be fairly expensive, when you compare it to someone's salary and you amortize that over keeping the employee for a few years, it's really not such a big difference. Yeah, yeah. But it's amazing that now things are uh, much more faster, much more advanced, a lot less bulky, and you can do a lot more with one device. You know, you remember the days when, you know, if you wanted to write something in Braille, you had to have a Braille writer, and then you had to have a scanner, and then you had to have an embosser, and then, you, you know, it was just, it was crazy. So you said your first job was at IBM, and then you worked at the nonprofit, and then you went from there to Apple? No, um, I went from the nonprofit to a startup. Me and a friend of mine got funding, and we were going to develop a note taker using Windows CE back then. That's what was the thing going. I remember. And we developed a prototype, actually. But unfortunately, we found out sometime later that this guy was part of a Ponzi scheme. So the money that we got was not really pure. (laughs) Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, That doesn't sound like it ended well then. It ended fine for us. He did go to jail. um, But um, yeah, it was was sort of a disheartening reality because, you know, we we were pretty close. And what happened after that? After that, I worked for another nonprofit, Lighthouse for San Francisco for the Blind. And then I saw on some message board somewhere that Apple was building a new screen reader. And uh, I applied and got a phone interview. Um, and I guess, it, you know, they had someone else in mind. So about a year, year and a half later, I saw the same position come up. Now, in this time period... I decided to really kind of beef up my programming skills because it had been a while. So I'd started learning Visual Basic, C++, um, and even started working on like a little project of mine, um, like a music player or just a 3D audio program. So I refreshed myself in the object-oriented programming. And by the time the second opportunity came up, it was a lot different. And that's how I wound up getting this position back in 2006. And that had to be a great time when some of these accessibility technologies built into the Apple devices were starting to take off and really mushroom. Yeah, I mean, it was still, uh, compared to now, it was still sort of early days. But I did like the direction Apple was going in terms of just ease of use, plug it and it works. Um, I remember um, probably about my third month there, uh, my uncle passed away and I was going to get a ride to the funeral from my brother. And so my aunt just sent over the directions. I was like, all right, I'll just print these out. And I had, I don't know, some HP scanner or whatever, plugged it into my PC. It's like, uh, you must update the drivers on this. And I do, which model of the HP printer do you have? I was like, there's no one here. I don't know which model it is. I can't read the model number. <laughs> and my manager had given me a, a MacBook, titanium MacBook. And I thought, you know, why don't I just plug it in here? 
plugged into my MacBook. It's like, see that you have an HP 401, whatever. Would you like to install the drivers? Why, yes, I would. <laughs> and then I was able to print the directions. I was like, okay, this is the place to be working for. Apple was very good about those easy-to-use, user-friendly designs. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a great position there now at Apple and can actually change things for the better for not only the visually impaired, but all kinds of people. Yeah, you know, um, I think I mentioned this before in the other interview that, you know, you, you sometimes it's hard to see the forest when you're in the trees. And, you know, every once in a while, I'll turn on a podcast where someone's using our technology. And, and I think, wow, this really is impacting people's lives. But that has to feel good to know that you were a part of all of that. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. I don't exaggerate when I say that, you know, it's it's life changing, like the things that people are able to do that maybe they did before, but it was far more complicated and harder. And uh, I think that's the most exciting thing to get out of it. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about accessibility of Apple products and how to contact them. So, Dean, what kind of resources would you recommend for our listeners to learn more about Apple products? I strongly recommend uh, checking out the apple.com slash accessibility. We've actually done a, a, a whole new overhaul on the site. Uh, there's a bunch of how-tos and a lot of sort of deep dives into features for our platform. So I, I, it's a really good resource. Uh, and I believe there's even... Um, uh, contact address if you wanted to email in questions. Uh, so it's a, it's a great place to start. And for people who have questions or they notice bugs in their devices, how can they submit that feedback to Apple? So to submit bugs or uh, suggestions, um, you can email us at accessibility at apple.com. And you monitor that along with some of your other colleagues? Yes, lots of people monitor that. And I make frequent use of that. You guys are always good about responding and trying to get bugs and suggestions into the system. We appreciate it. Keep them coming. And another group that we often hear great things about and from is AppleViz. Yes, they have been pretty fantastic. And they're really good at holding our feet to the fire, you know, just uh, really making sure that we're staying on top of things as well as I think they, they do a great service in the community because they, for each update, they list the different features, they list any bugs, and so it, it works out great for us as well. And it's also a great place just for users to interact and learn from each other about how to use the various applications and devices. It's a very friendly community. Yeah, I say that, and um, Mac Visionaries as well is pretty good. Uh, in fact, that's where I actually started when I was preparing to interview here at Apple, I was like, I should just join this user group so I can learn something. <laughs> <laughs> and as usual, we'll have all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. We'll also have a link to the previous interview we did with Dean about some of the new accessibility features in iOS. 
That's it for show number 2118. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about accessible cloud technologies. NUMA Solutions offers a suite of accessible cloud services geared to the needs of the visually impaired. We'll talk with co-founders Mike Calvo and Matt Campbell about Ciro, as well as how Scribe for Meetings and Scribe for Education transform documents to make them accessible in a wide variety of formats for web events and personal use. And we hope you'll join us next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.